0: Okay, welcome to the Self-Connection Podcast. Uh, Today I have a special guest named Leona Flamand-Galant. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. Okay, and uh, she is Métis, and she grew up in a small French rural community in Saskatchewan. Her mom was French from Montreal, and her dad was Cree and French from Manitoba. She is the sixth child of a family of 10, and being Métis meant that uh, was not spoken about in her family and her knowledge and awareness of her heritage um, came from her being called half-breed when she entered school. In her work with Virginia Satir, she recovered her heritage as both Cree and French. The Metis people of Canada have a very rich and interesting story of how colonialism affected um, their lives and we might explore that today. She made a decision to learn from the masters in her profession of working with people and Virginia Satir and Maria Gamori were the main leaders of her education and working in the helping field. She uh, was a stay-at-home mom, raising four kids for the first 10 years of her adult life. And the next 10 uh, was working and training in the profession uh, of counselor. And she worked as a drug and alcohol counselor um, and a stopping violence counselor, working with historical sexual abuse from 1992 to 2000. Uh, she facilitated a counselor training program that trained adult learners uh, to work with alcohol and drug and family development uh, in the native family uh, friend, sorry, the Native friendship center in Telecom Lalum
1: Lelum,
0: Lelum, in Nanaimo BC. and their program was satir-based, and every person as part of the training program did their own family reconstruction, which Leona facilitated. and in 2000. Uh, She created her own business and contracted uh, with Talikam Lilam, the satir part of the training program, as part of her business. She's still involved in uh, uh, satir work and she is uh, 81 and living an amazing life. So uh, good to be with you, Leona. So um, what I'd like us to do just by way of beginning is starting with a, a short meditation to have us connect to ourselves and then with each other, okay? So I invite us to both close our eyes and connecting to your breath and inviting the listener to do the same. I'd like you to soften your body as much as you can. Using your breath with the next exhalation, letting go of whatever tension you might be holding on to. And with your breath, connecting to the flow of life that lives within you and around you. And as you breathe, continuing to soften and relax your body and giving yourself permission to let go of whatever tensions that you don't need to hang on to anymore. And as you inhale, breathing in whatever energy you may need that will help you feel connected and present in this moment. This may be a yearning for peace. This may be a yearning for connection or simply a need to slow down with all the things that are spinning around in life and in the various roles you have. Just allowing yourself to be aware of whatever it is you feel you need and want in this moment. And with your breath, creating a space for that So you continue to breathe, inviting a spaciousness, a calmness within. Just appreciating the choice to take a moment for yourself, to connect, to create a positive experience for yourself to strengthen yourself with whatever energy you needed at this time. And just thanking yourself for being here and being with our conversation as we transition away from the meditative state. And as you slowly open your eyes, returning your breath to a regular cadence, and looking around the space you're in, feeling the sensation of touch and the sensation of sound to ground yourself back. And yeah, I would like to begin by saying hello to you, Leona. How are you, how are you feeling in this moment? What's alive in you um, right now?
1: As alive, I, um, I live in a really, really beautiful spot. And when the meditation emptied, I looked outside my window and saw this beautiful green tree. Um, It feels so rich. And I look straight out and I see the water and the little island ahead. um, And a bunch of sailboats Hmm. (laughs) and my flowers on my deck. And so um, I live in paradise
0: sounds like it sounds like it yeah mm. I was uh I was introduced to you through a mutual friend of ours Judy and she described you as being an invisible legend in the in the sit world and there's um I, I tried to do some research uh, about you on the internet and I there wasn't mm-hmm. there wasn't much that I could find so I'm really excited to learn about you and from our initial conversation that we had a few weeks ago um I found you to be uh such a peaceful person that there's a peace that lives within you that you just, I think when you're describing your connection to nature and your environment, um, you know, leads me to have a strong trust in your wisdom and your strength. And, uh, so one of the things that you, you said to me when we first uh, spoke was you live with this idea of having no resistance and an openness to life. And I'm wondering if you could describe that a little bit for our audience, what you meant by that. I was, I was really touched by that. This living with no resistance and openness to life. What does that mean to you?
1: Well, within within myself, um, I'd say I can look out at, at the water right now and feel nothing inside but pleasure and openness and expansiveness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can run into someone who's afraid when they walk up to me uh, because of COVID-19 and another feeling comes in and um, then it's like night and day and if I give myself permission to be with that night and day feeling that, that kind of like wow um, it's kind of almost like a foreign element comes in mm. and if I allow the foreign element to come in and I recognize I don't need to go back to status quo I don't need to go back to uh, that place inside of me that's in there in the moment I I can just be with it and stay with it long enough for something else to come and for compassion to come for understanding to come for uh, my eyes to see the person that's in front of me. Mm.
0: So, yeah when, you, yeah, when you talk about not going back to status quo, I think what you mean is is not going into a, a survival coping. Not, is that what you mean? Not,
1: yeah? not only survival coping. Mm-hmm. Uh, status quo to me is everything I've learned in my life
0: okay. on how
1: to be in the world. Okay. You know, like, uh, how I learned as a child, how I learned to be, how I learned my, how my culture taught me, how, um, the the world I lived in, uh, taught all the different ways that, um, we're used to doing mm-hmm. and it carries with us thinking, it carries with us feelings, it carries with us a behavior pattern. Right. And, um, if I can allow myself to feel mm-hmm. and understand what I'm feeling, I have choice around the behavior pattern I want to have mm-hmm. so the old the status quo is knowing all that knowing knowing the thinking, knowing the uh, emotions, knowing the behavior pattern that wants to go either uh, to what my dad taught me or what my teachers taught me or what my life experience taught me to what is it that is present in this moment.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's like you're, you're able to hold at bay that the impulse to do the pattern Mm -hmm. and to be present um, with what's, what's going on. And then that creates a space for making choice.
1: And especially if I don't go into battle with the, with the pattern, if I don't try to change it, if I don't try to judge it, if I uh, accept it,
0: okay, acceptance. So, so that's the that's the that's the energy that's maybe pervading the space inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah.
1: yeah, not only myself, but what I see and what I feel, like what I touch.
0: Mm-hmm. So that emanates from you. It emanates from your body. Is that what you mean?
1: Well, it, it's it's a way of it's a way of, like, say, with, with another human being. It's a way of touching that other human being in a way that is beyond the actual
0: touching. Can you say more about that? What when so when, when you encounter you're walking out in the world and you encounter someone that maybe looks a little scared or, like, how how do you use yourself? How do you make sort of make that. Um, energy shift in yourself and and maybe you sense their fear or some kind of resistance in them what what do you what happens on the inside for you
1: well i i I sense a resistance right away
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: and instead of thinking that the other person is resisting i look at my own okay and um when i sense my own resistance and i open
2: Mm
1: -hmm. i somehow connect
0: okay so you notice that there may be some kind of resistance in them and you notice that your resistance gets pulled a little bit Mm -hmm. and then you work you focus on that okay yeah yeah. let's let's open let's open
2: yeah
0: you know i think that's that's really fascinating because i think there's a sort of ideal that um you know if we were really congruent that we wouldn't react anymore that, that that sort of resistance wouldn't even be there. I think there's sort of a, a paradise or sort of a, an idealization that that would be the state. But I appreciate what you're saying, that it's like, that's going to happen, that there is going to be this resistance. And then it's the choice to open that that comes next.
1: Well, I think that w- that... I've I've had a time in my life when I thought, okay, if I get rid of this, then I'm gonna have utopia. If I can only be congruent all the time, I can I can I can have peace in the world, you know. I I can remember when I first learned about congruent, I knew I didn't know what the word meant. And I knew that congruence for me would be a living word. And so a living word for me is something I learn on a constant basis what the word means. Mm. And I'm still learning what congruence means.
0: Yeah. I just it's got goosebumps. I just got goosebumps when you said that a living word. Yeah. Can, can we live with words? Can we live with yeah. words? Can we live with words? Can we, can yeah. we treat words as living things yeah. and can we treat our thoughts as living things and, yeah. and become alive in, in what, how we're using all of that? I love that.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Ah, beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, if i think for instance that i'm not ever going to uh, be judgmental or be uh have a crappy day or you know it it that's just that's being human
2: mm-hmm. yeah and yeah.
1: and but it doesn't need to end not by and it doesn't need to color the experience mm-hmm. of myself
0: yeah because it's you're you're not getting trapped into a conclusion or uh, what Virginia talked about in terms of family rule. I should never be judgmental. I should never have a bad day. If I was really good, these things would never happen, but they're, they're accepting them as human. uh, And then moving, moving through them, you know, and I think that's, that's what struck me about this idea of no resistance and openness. Um, Okay. Can you uh, tell me maybe By way of some background, um, a little bit about your biography and then the intersection when you met Virginia, whatever pieces of your life story that are important to connect us to, um, I guess, how meaningful it was for you to meet Virginia and then the impact that she had on your life. I mean, this podcast is really meant to focus and highlight Virginia Satir's work and the way her work lives through people. So if you could share some of your life story and, and how that's led to transformation in your life and then transformational work that has stemmed from you in specific roles. Um, yeah, I think that would be good. It's
1: um, it so changed my life meeting her. And where I grew up, and as I grew up, um it was like that part of myself that was makey, I was not aware of or not even in had any cognitive understanding of it because it wasn't a part of our family uh experience as um except for the The hidden part, the secret part, the part that doesn't get spoken.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, so it was kind of like an unconscious element that created a whole image in my head. And the only thing, uh, so I had a lot of shame and a lot of um, uh, judgment about that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And about myself and about us as a family and about us, the whole thing. And so when we when I met Virginia, and she asked uh, she asked me about myself, and I told her that I was Métis, and then she she went on for maybe five, six minutes talking about the wonderful people that the Métis mm. people were. Mm. And I had never heard anybody talk like that.
0: Wow. Well,:
1: wow. Because in like, your life
0: in your life, it had been a secret. It had been shrouded in shame, yeah. And then,
1: Mm -hmm. And here she is just like talking about this amazing, wonderful people. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty transformative for me to, to, to be in touch with. And how
0: did you experience yourself in relation to Virginia in that moment? What, what was new of the experience? I'm assuming new, but, or different in the experience you had with her than, with other people in your life, was there something new or different about it?
1: Oh, totally. It was total acceptance mm-hmm. about a total acceptance from another person.
0: And had you felt that way before? No. okay, so it was the first time. Yeah, I feel total acceptance.
1: Total
0: Do you have a sense of how she was able to do that with you in such a short period of time and so like what,
1: what did she, you see in her um, well, for one thing, it was at that time, I didn't know it, but I felt her energy. Mm-hmm. And um, I just felt like, like this was just, uh, just like I walked into an energy field of and I wouldn't have known at the time that this was energy or this was an energy field. It was like I walked into a, a space where all of a sudden it felt really good. I felt really good inside. And... At the time, I didn't know why I was feeling good. I didn't know what it, this was about other than there was such a warmth that came from her that it was impossible to not feel warm inside yourself.
0: I, I know that she touch was a very important part of how she made contact. Did she touch you in that first meeting?
1: Uh, she took my hands. Mm-hmm. She took my hands. And she looked. She touched me with her eyes more than anything.
0: What did you see in her eyes?
1: Uh, acceptance,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a curiosity. Oh, I want to know you. Uh, uh, you're interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we're going to have an adventure. All that kind of stuff.
0: Wow, there's so much life in that yeah, moment. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and it was because she was she was introducing everybody to herself and to the audience and there was 40 of us so you know she wasn't spending that much time there wasn't that much time
0: what was the context of of where you were and what was this a training
1: uh, it was a training a month-long training um experience that she used to do on gabriola island okay at at haven by the sea she used to uh do a residential month-long training there
0: did it have a name Or a particular folk? Yeah did it, did she give it a name? This training journey, or
1: journey to self. Okay. Journey to self was was her.
0: <laughs> and and what what year was that, Leona?
1: That was in nineteen eighty. Um, I think it was nineteen eighty.
0: Nineteen
1: eighty. Okay. About that time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. So. What what happened in terms of your relation to your your history and your identity uh, in relation to meeting Virginia? So you had that experience of her talking about the Métis people and the acceptance that you felt. Um, what else transformed for you personally?
1: Well, personally, I I was I was also I was at the time searching, okay for that for that heritage. I was all I was beginning to search for that heritage, and I was in a, a place where. My family seemed like they were a block to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in my relationship with her training and with the people that were there at the time and with doing the family mapping and all the ways that she, all her her model, because uh, I did a parts party with her. I did family mapping with uh, family stories with her. I did uh, a parts party with her. Mm -hmm. So like I did a lot in that month of personal work with her, but it was like um, what I found out through that work with her and through working with my family, because there was 10 in my family, all of a sudden the lack of content. The lack of understanding, the lack of what I thought was something I had to totally be rid of, transformed into a wealth that was beyond what I knew. Mm. I could continually keep working with this and keep getting the wealth out of this. Mm. And, and uh, because my family was so big, it was such a gift. Right.
0: So your initial thought was, there's something I need to move away from or get rid of. But it transformed to there's a wealth there's resources here within mm-hmm. my family within my history that you could tell total tap into.
1: resources total resources mm. amazing
0: did you do a family reconstruction in that first month or did that happen uh, later or
1: oh, I did family reconstructions later. What I did in that month is that she did my family uh I did a family map, and she went over the family map with me mm-hmm. and uh did a lot of um talking at that time. Yeah. Didn't actually do, um, the full, I did my mom's story, my dad's story. And she put that up on the flip charts and we, we talked, we did some work around that. So in that way I did. Okay. But The biggest piece of work I did with her was a parts party. And, um, uh, there was some stuff around change and there was some stuff around recognizing, recognizing body, recognizing how uh, you care, what you carry in your body and how to shift that.
0: Can you say more about that? Recognize your body and, and, and shifting that.
1: Uh... Um, well, I, I got, I probably went into um, dislocation the first week. I was probably in really deep dissociation. Dissociation. Yeah, with it all. Because mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. i that was a, something I had to work with in my life was dissociation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And one morning she called me up and I could tell that I just was not there. Stood mm-hmm. me on something because I'm five foot two and she's probably six feet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she got me eye to eye. And plunk! I've landed in my body, <laughs> and, and that is something I've used. I still use today, mm-hmm. when somebody is feeling like somebody is up there and somebody's down there. Hey, you know, if you're working with relation uh, um, relationships or of any sort, mm-hmm. so so if that helped have- that
0: helped you land back into your body. Just her her positioning you and. Looking at you,
1: yeah. I, so you're eye to eye.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so what I did when I came home was uh, we had a fireplace. and My husband was taller than I. So if we were to have an argument, I always stood on the fireplace. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, w- Were there any other um, moments of of transformation that you had in your work with her in that month or um yeah anything else that changed for you that you'd well, like to share
1: well the, the thing i recognize because what the what the adjectives that family adjectives mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well when i finished all 10 and there was three adjectives for every one of them
0: you're talking about family mapping now or just yeah, doing your yeah. ma-
1: mm-hmm. then it's uh, then the awareness that all those adjectives are part of me because I learned them. Mm
0: -hmm. The resources.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it was, it was a brand new learning for me. It was like, I had never really known that kind of thing before. Mm -hmm. So it was quite transformative.
0: Did that work change your relationships at all with your family?
1: It changed my relationship with myself. Uh-huh. and in that way I think it changed my relationship with my family for sure
2: because
1: mm-hmm. it definitely changed my relationship to myself that I'm still I think I will be changing till I die because I keep finding new avenues and new openings and and mm-hmm. uh, new awarenesses mm-hmm. you know
0: and and then it sort of reminds me of what you're saying before about being able to live with acceptance um, and compassion um whether it's it's a it's a great experience or a not so yummy experience. Maybe it's maybe it's a difficult one. Um can you um I'm wondering if now is a good transition to talk about family reconstruction. Um how did that how did you get involved with using that as a it's a, that's a major vehicle for change or a major process and i don't i mean i've watched a lot of tapes of virginia doing them um and watched them again and again but i know uh, they can be quite involved processes so can you describe your history with family reconstruction and your use of it
1: um when i started work for Telecom which was um uh, the the dates are a little bit uh, a screw in in um in a, the way i wrote them down i started to work in 1992 for telecom mm-hmm. uh, facilitating a training program for counselors and the Satir model and doing family reconstructions were a part of that there was a woman there named bev brown who did her training with virginia and the northwest Satir institute had been a part of that and she was doing the family reconstructions at that time and i uh tutored with her mm-hmm. on how to do them and how to be with them. I worked with her for about four years before she moved on. And then I took it over and okay. I just started doing the family reconstructions myself. And I worked with, um, uh, there were, there were not only mi- like we were a mixed, uh, Caucasian native,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, first, first nations. Uh, mostly First Nations because Telkom Lalam is a First Nations uh, agency mm-hmm. and the language Satir language fits in the First Nations culture. It's um, because of family, mm-hmm. because of community, because of um, honoring the different levels of eldership, child, um, parenting, all that, mm-hmm. all that kind of um, information that she has in her model fits the culture. Mm-hmm.
0: So it seems like there was a seamless connection. Um, and so you, you were assisting, her name was Beth? Beth. Uh, Beth? Bev. Bev. So you were assisting Bev for four years and then getting, I guess, your, your own training with Using family reconstruction, uh, and then you started running it yourself. What can you? I wasn't
1: just... running. I wasn't running it myself. Oh, okay. Uh, this was. I was working for the uh, Friendship Center.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was a part. Like I was working for them, and they had the funding for running this course. Okay. And they ran the course as a as a way of helping people get trained to go back into their communities and uh, be an influence in the communities.
0: Okay, so what was that course called? The course that they were taking?
1: It was a counselor training course for family violence and for drug and alcohol.
0: Okay, so family reconstruction was one component of this training program?
1: And not only family reconstruction, but the whole um, model. Okay. So we we would teach the communication stances, the change model, Mm -hmm. the uh parts we do parts parties we do growth model we do we do all the parts of the model and then we do the people would do their stories and because such an important part of uh, a person's healing Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: having our stories heard is um is healing in itself just Mm -hmm. having your story heard is healing being able to hear your own story is so healing. Mm-hmm. And so the whole whole concept of story is so important. And
0: so, so I'd like us to focus specifically on family reconstruction and this idea of story. Um, can you describe maybe an example of your work to illustrate to people just how powerful this intervention can? I don't know if you'd call it intervention or a vehicle for change, um, but, yeah, just to illustrate family i want to, I'd like to highlight family reconstruction uh, as a specific tool that Virginia developed. and
1: Well, um, because I work in um, in in the in the community, because I worked in the communities, I integrated the process that she used to work with, to first get the family story of the father and the mother, and then the, the, uh, person doing the work.
0: Mm-hmm. The star. Yeah. The star. Yeah.
1: And, and writing those stories, getting the story was as big a part as doing the actual day. Okay. Getting the story, writing the stories, telling the stories and then um doing a whole day process where we would take take a look at the father's story and mm-hmm. sculpt that take a look at the mom's story sculpt that take a look at the star's story and sculpt that and all of it connecting and integrating
0: mm mm-hmm. because so, the, th- the themes at the themes would arise from the sculpt you could see them and they would become alive um,
1: the they star could
0: the star, yeah.
1: There, there was things that would happen in the sculpt that the star would relate to, and we would highlight that and bring that out. And the star actually, uh, actually led the whole process in a lot of ways.
0: So I, I want to
1: ability to follow the star.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I want to rewind back to what you are saying about telling the story because. Uh, most social workers, psychiatrists, people in the helping field, they know how to take a family history. So they're, they're looking at certain details. Is there something different about um, the, this interview for the story that's different in what you learned from Virginia and from the Satir model that's worth noting? How, how, how was the story accessed, heard? What, what details were important to hear
1: and the details are generally really important to hear about what happened in the uh, um, parents' families and to where they were, where they, what was happening in the world when they came into the world mm-hmm. and what was happening in the world as they grew up right. and how did the father and the mother learn how to parent?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How did they meet? How did they um, all kinds of, how what happened in school whether there was a war going on whether there was mm. um what was happening in the community they lived in mm. in in where uh the work that i did a lot was around residential school
2: right
1: and what happened to them in residential school and how did they get pulled out of their own families to be put into residential school mm-hmm. and then how um how did the family survive that? And what happened to them when they moved back in and out? That story, just telling that
0: story. Yeah, it's interesting because I, when you're describing this, I think there's a medical model of how to take a history and then there's what you're describing within Virginia's work. Can you, dif- can you compare and contrast? Um, what I'm hearing is that there's such an emphasis on context and then also the resilience that, that needed to, to come up in, let's say, the human spirit to be able to face some of these situations. But in your, in your own way of in experience with this, can you, can you speak to that? That there's a different ab- kind of...
1: It's about relationship. Mm-hmm. It's all about relationship. But not only relationship with each other, but relationship with what's around the community. The, the uh, chronology about what was happening at the time that they grew mm. up. Mm-hmm. and both the parents and the star and um and so what did a person learn through mm-hmm. all that
2: mm-hmm.
1: what did a person integrate through all that that forms the behavior patterning and the ways of coping mm. that is um buried really deep often within without a an awareness of it and somehow in her ability to uh, create this model, that surface,
2: mm.
1: the opportunity to see self and to see your parents in a total different light, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. an understanding of how come, how come I learned what it is that I learned. And I see it g- coming down the stairway.
0: Yeah, I as you were describing that, I I had a wave kind of just come through over my back and over my head, and it was a feeling of there's an engagement in the pro in the process of living, where it's not about you know because a diagnosis is a conclusion, right? Like, this is what you've got in and it's a box for people to then get stuck within. And Virginia often talked about. Um, diagnostic labels being like bad words, and she was. I, I yeah. just
1: absolutely. Uh, I don't know how you can deal with that. Myself, I don't know because. Yeah. Uh, if you, in a sense of, finding self. It's just so narrows. Mm-hmm. Like narrows a scope. Whether if whereas if you don't put a label on it, then you're curiosity can mm-hmm. expand and expand mm-hmm. and expand.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking about with your family map and seeing those adjectives and the yeah. Ex- yeah. Con- continual, like a, the generation of new ideas and energies and experiences from that.
1: Yeah. Um, like, like my, my dad was the oldest of 14 children. So it made me really understand uh, why after about six or seven of us, he was disappearing a lot.
0: <laughs> Sorry, you know, he was just what?
1: He was he was disappearing a lot. Oh you know?
0: yes, yes,
1: and, yes. And it's like all of a sudden, I, I you know, he grew up at fourteen, the oldest of fourteen children.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, oh. hmm. just just that kind of an understanding of how a person grows up and how they end up learning how to cope that's the biggest i think understanding if i learn if i figure out how come i'm coping the way i'm coping where did i learn that because i learned it i can unlearn it
0: mm-hmm. that's the hope. i can learn something that's, different yeah yeah that's the hopeful energy or the hopeful message in that yeah yeah, yeah. i can unlearn it i can learn something new yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, so I wonder if this is, maybe that's a, a good transition to talk about what is self and what is essence. Um, because I think by, by being able to see the form of the learning, then you can make choices about, do I hang on to it? Do I let it go? What do I need mm-hmm. to add? You know, there's, there, there's this kind of flexibility with uh, energy or with life that, that can come of that. Can you describe what, what, you, what self and essence means to you? Are they the same thing? Are they different? How do you think of these things?
1: I think they're the same, and I think they're different. I can't know my essence until, I, unless I know myself. I can't know myself unless I really know my essence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's it's a continual it's a continual movement of it's a continual movement of learning how to love yourself, learning how to love, period, so that it's it's like if I were to use a metaphor. um, If you're making bread, all the ingredients are part of making that bread grow. And rise and cook, and sometimes that bread will just go flat. You got to figure out how come it went flat. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's a total possibility to figure that out. Right. And it's a total possibility to figure out. Okay, uh, what is it that I need mm-hmm. to do to make this different, or to enjoy what's there? Because often. It's all about, essence, it's all about really enjoying the total mm-hmm. moment.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so help me understand, so they're, they're similar or they're the same, but then different. In what way are they different?
1: Because um, I know them in a different place. I can know myself. I can know um, how I grew up. I can remember what it felt like to walk in the mud. I can remember what it felt like to sit in a strawberry patch. I can remember what it felt like to uh, ride a horse Mm -hmm. as a kid. Uh, All those kinds of memories that make up a self. And then there's there's that place where sitting in the strawberry patch and looking at the sun hit a tiger lily. You're in a total other place. It, it, it's not in memory. It's not in um, understanding. Hmm. It's in essence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The essence of the, the sun, the berry. The color of the flower. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: it's transcendence.
0: It's it sounds like the the vital immediate moment the right here right now yeah. is different to the concept of well then then the memory over there yeah. or yeah. or in the few some yeah. some some kind of
1: yeah but i can i have that memory mm-hmm. and i have it in both ways mm. so i am the self and i am the essence there But I'm not, you yeah.
0: know. Yeah, yeah. And they, and you can, you can see them. You can see them as, as somewhat different. But then they're also part of a whole. That they Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. yeah. And I think, and you know, if you take family reconstruction, it does that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in some magic way.
0: Hmm. Well, I feel that our conversation has felt like a meditation to me in a way because I feel. The thoughts coming through me as I try to understand, but I also feel um, some things moving through me as I listen to you. So, in in, and I don't often feel this way when I'm interviewing or talking with people, um, and so I think that uh, speaks to the energy that you you bring to our meeting, our encounter, where you're you're living in two places at once, say the self as you describe it in the essence and so it's 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 really nice to be here with you <laughs> and to feel that so thank you yeah, yeah thank you for for sharing your your essence with me and also your memories uh which are grounded in in essence um
1: and and not it, that not that in memory i haven't done a lot mm-hmm. with that whole area where Things happen in a person's life mm-hmm. that you want to put on a shelf.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Leave it in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, and words like words are words are so amazing. Like like. Sometimes when I when I read Satir's stuff, um, her words her images the way that she writes it's like i see this word and wow i never i never saw it before but i've read it hundreds of times Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i see this word and it means something like context context is so difficult for me because you know brian swim who is a cosmologist talked about we live in the context of the universe Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I never, I thought, yeah, that's why you can't take it down into just this. Our context is not only the earth and ourselves, it's all the universe. Mm -hmm. So our context is that. So imagine how big, how massive, how amazing, the learning capacity is,
0: yeah, that you could draw from, you could draw from that, and then I think you're using context like you did with congruence. it's there, there are living words, they're they're moving all the time because you can, you can zoom in and zoom out with what you mean by context, and then you can imagine, you know, what's living in the em- the so-called empty space of that context. Right? Yeah. There's a context between you and me. We're not in the same room, but there's a context yeah, a, yeah. There's, a, there's a holding space between us what's going on in that space well we're each contrib- putting something into the basket of that space and what i feel from you is an acceptance and a curiosity in a willingness to risk sharing um so those things are living they're, they're living in the context say between us and i am appreciative of that and so that's that's what i feel yeah
1: Yeah. Like I feel really, um, I feel really heard. And like, I think that you've been able to hear what I'm saying, which I often struggle with. Mm -hmm. I often struggle with finding the words because I think that I can use the words that fit for me don't often, often fit for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I've gotten so, I'm really okay with my own words. So <laughs> they're yeah. there.
0: Yeah. And, yeah.
1: and that, that's okay. You know, I don't have to learn how to speak in a different way, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: you know, well, in a different language.
0: Well, you've got the full force of the essence of what you mean behind the words. That's, yes. I think that's, that's the most important thing, you know, and, and I agree with what you said, you know, words are amazing. Um, and I, I, I like to explore with, um, what, what are the words that are the best pointers to the experience for me? Because then those things start to live together. And, um, and like, when you said with context, it's like, every time you think of that word, you're connected to the richness of all that. It's like a, it's like a doorway into all the different meanings behind that word. Um, and there's those, are the resources, right. And so, um, they're the signposts to um, something incredible. And, and then also the danger of words as well, which we talked about in terms of labels and conclusions and diagnoses. There's, there's, there's something destructive about words as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, we have to be careful with our use of words. And, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that uh, I was going to say around Virginia, um, I really believe that what she taught we're not even caught up to yet the <laughs> magnitude of it in our world. Mm-hmm. It's like we've been given such a gift. And we're we're just we're just at the beginning of opening that gift.
0: Mm-hmm. So um I mean we're we're almost at, at an hour um, in yeah. our talk, and I'm wondering, just on that point that you made, is there a message? Is there um, a hope that you have for the world that's connected to what you're doing with Virginia's work that you would like to share? Um, maybe related to what you're saying about we're not cut. What are we not cut up to? You know, what's your hope for the world that if we could catch up to, that might be experienced more in the world or expressed more in the world?
1: That's a big. That's a big big question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing question. If I was to stay with myself in that place, I think with where we are right now, with the fear that's been portrayed so em- eminently, uh, I think that our ability, my ability to be with fear
2: Mm.
1: in a non-destructive way to myself, to my family, Mm. to my community uh, is what, what I feel this morning, I mean, it might be different tomorrow or the next mm. day, but that's what I feel today. Somehow fear is here.
2: Yeah. And
1: yes. it has a face and it has a feeling and it has a power and how to be with that power in a way that brings forth love and not more fear. Mm-hmm. Like I love the fact, that the heart is a symbol for this virus. Mm -hmm. And so how can I, how can I embrace fear with love? That's just kind of like off the
0: top of where, where I'm yeah, at. I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just digesting what you're saying. Um, a way to be with fear, our ability to be with fear. Um, I, I, I love the way that you're, you're framing that because it's an ability. It's something that can be learned. I can learn yeah. to be with my fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the, the second thing you said is in a non-destructive way. Yeah. Uh, what's the opposite of destructive? Um, I think we're, we've been talking about growth learning Mm -hmm. um in you know the 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 metaphor of baking maybe maybe the fear is a yeast for something maybe we can use it as a resource towards something um and and if we can encapsulate whatever that fear is with a larger energy of love then maybe we can transform it i think these are some of the things that um i've learned from virginia that uh that I think maybe are in alignment with what you're talking about.
1: Um, I really, really like what you just said, and I'm glad you're going to have that down. Those words that you just said. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you you for sharing the space with me and having this dialogue together. Um, I feel really slowed down in my, in my energy with you and, uh, I could always use that, so thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your curiosity and uh, for doing the interview.